Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. Here at Orbital Gardens, we're excited about the upcoming launch of NASA's Artemis 1, so I thought I would put together a guide covering the highlights of the mission for Space Gardeners. Let's start at the very beginning. What is Artemis? It's 53 years since humans first set foot on the moon, and 50 years since our satellite received its last human visitor. The Apollo missions all happened before I was born. Since then, we've developed the ability to live in space for long periods. It's more than 20 years since all humans were on the planet at the same time. But we haven't been beyond low Earth orbit again. Artemis is NASA's modern-day moon mission. Apollo landed 12 white men on the moon. Artemis aims to land the first woman and the first person of colour on the moon. And this time the idea is to establish a long-term presence there and use what we learned as a stepping stone to a human mission to Mars. The early Apollo missions gradually developed the skills and technologies we needed to reach the moon, culminating in that first moonwalk during Apollo 11. Artemis is following a similar pattern, with missions of increasing complexity. The first launch, Artemis 1, is an uncrewed mission. It will demonstrate NASA's new space launch system rocket and the Orion capsule that leaves Earth orbit and travels to the moon. If all goes well, Orion and SLS will be certified for crewed flights. So what's the plan for Artemis 1? Artemis 1 could launch as soon as the 29th of August. NASA announced three possible launch dates, the other two are the 2nd of September and the 5th of September. SLS will launch Orion from Launchpad 39B at NASA's Kennedy Spaceport. Once Orion is in orbit, it will separate from SLS. At this point, the capsule is still attached to something called the Interim Cryogenic Propulsion Stage, the ICPS. First, Orion will deploy its solar rays, and then the ICPS will boost it out of Earth's orbit and on its way to the Moon. That's the translunar injection, a manoeuvre that will set Orion on a path to be captured by the Moon's gravity. About two hours after launch, Orion will separate from ICPS and continue on to the Moon alone. And this is where it starts to get interesting for space gardeners. Because once it has separated from Orion, the ICPS has another job to do. It will deploy ten small satellites, CubeSats, designed either to study the Moon or head out into deep space. Argo Moon will demonstrate that CubeSats can function close to the ICPS and will document the ICPS in action. The CubeSat to study solar particles will monitor inbound radiation from interplanetary space to help us understand space weather. The Equilibrium Lunar Earth Point 6U spacecraft will take images of the Earth's plasmosphere to give us a better understanding of the space radiation surrounding our planet. The Team Miles CubeSat will use plasma thrusters to propel it in what's been referred to as a drag race to the Moon. Lunar Ice Cube is packed with instruments to search for water and other resources on the Moon. The Lunar Polar Hydrogen Mapper will map water deposits on the lunar surface. The Lunar IR CubeSat will use infrared imaging to observe the lunar surface during a flyby. NEA Scout will perform a flyby of a small asteroid and collect observational data on its environment. Omontanashi will attempt to prove the capability of small, cost-effective lunar landers to explore the Moon's surface. 
But of most interest to space gardeners is BioSentinel, a CubeSat developed by NASA's Ames Research Centre to study how living organisms are affected by deep space radiation. CubeSats are based around a unit design of a 10cm cube, so a 1 unit or 1U CubeSat measures 10 by 10 by 10 centimetres. The BioSentinel mission uses a 6U, 6-unit CubeSat. Its main goal is to develop a biosensor to detect and measure the impact of space radiation on living organisms beyond low Earth orbit over long durations. Exposure to the highly energetic particles found in deep space radiation can damage DNA, including causing what's called double-strand breaks. This damage is often repaired by the cell. The biosentinel experiment uses two strains of brewer's yeast, a normal one and one genetically engineered so it cannot repair its DNA. As it accumulates radiation damage, there will be alterations to the growth and metabolism of the genetically modified yeast. The biosensor is designed to detect those changes. For the Artemis I flight, dry yeast cells are stored in microfluidic cards designed at NASA. Each card has 16 wells, 8 of which will hold the ordinary yeast and 8 the modified yeast. NASA will activate cards at different times during the mission, which is expected to last between 6 and 12 months, by rehydrating the yeast. Once rehydrated, each card is expected to be active for about a week. One set of cards will be held in reserve. They will be rehydrated in the event of a solar particle event, a powerful radiation storm posing a significant risk to astronauts on long-duration space missions. The experiment uses a special dye that reacts to metabolic activity and a three-colour LED detection system to measure the growth and activity of the yeast samples. An onboard physical sensor and dosimeter will record the type of particles absorbed and the total dose of ionising radiation. And the results from the Artemis I biosentinel unit will be compared to identical experiments run on the Earth and the International Space Station. BioSentinel will be the first study of biological responses to radiation beyond low Earth orbit in nearly 50 years. Yeast's DNA repair processes are very similar to those in humans, but it's small and light and can be dehydrated and rehydrated to order, so it makes a good model organism. BioSentinel's results will be critical to understanding and reducing the radiation risks for human deep space missions. So it's not plants, but the findings of this experiment will ultimately serve to protect humans on future exploration missions. And if we ever want beer and bread and space, then we need spacefaring yeast. OK, so that's the CubeSats that have hitched a ride on Artemis 1. Let's get back to the primary mission. Artemis 1 is scheduled to last 42 days, 3 hours and 20 minutes. Orion will travel about 2.1 million kilometres or 1.3 million miles during this time. The capsule will go 64,000 kilometres, that's 40,000 miles, beyond the far side of the Moon, staying in space longer than any human spacecraft has without docking to a space station. NASA isn't going to send a spacecraft all that way with no payload, so what is flying on Artemis 1? The primary payload is three mannequins, instrumented dummies that will monitor how the flight would affect a human crew. The first is what NASA dubbed a Moonikin, named Commander Moonikin Campos and strapped into the commander's chair. It's named after Arturo Campos, an electrical engineer instrumental in the dramatic rescue of the Apollo 13 crew. The Moonikin will measure vibrations and accelerations and radiation exposure. It's dressed in the first-generation Orion Crew Survival System spacesuit, an orange pressure suit that astronauts will wear during future Artemis missions. 
the Moonigin, will be accompanied into space by two female torsos. Helga and Zahar are part of the Mastroska Astrorad radiation experiment, which will record data about radiation levels during the mission. While Zahar wears an Astrorad vest designed to protect astronauts from radiation, Helga must fend for herself to provide a comparison. These twin mannequins are female because women are typically more sensitive to space radiation effects. However, the Astrorad vest itself is a unisex design. Also inside the Orion capsule are four biology experiments that NASA's Space Biology Program selected. Collectively called Biology Experiment 1, they involve using plant seeds, fungi, yeast and algae to study the effects of space radiation. The first experiment is called Deep Space Radiation Genomics. It's another experiment based on brewer's yeast and it aims to identify the metabolic and genomic pathways affected by microgravity and space radiation. The idea is that it will add to our understanding of which genes and DNA repair mechanisms help cells survive in the space environment. Once we know that, it might be possible to develop mitigation techniques tailored to an individual astronaut. The second experiment has a massively long name. It's called Investigating the Roles of Melanin and DNA Repair on Adaptation and Survivability of Fungi in Deep Space. It's studying the effect of the spaceflight environment on different strains of fungi. Again, the results will help us to develop ways to protect astronauts from space radiation. The Fuel to Mars experiment explores the genes and gene pathways that help algae survive the space environment. The single-celled green alga Chlamydomonas reinhardtii could be useful to future space travellers as a source of lipids for bioproducts and hydrogen for fuel. The research team will identify the strains best adapted to life in space. Crossing them with hydrogen-producing strains should create hybrids that could survive a long trip and produce fuel for the return journey. And I've saved the best for last because the fourth experiment involves seeds. It's called Life Beyond Earth, Effective Spaceflight on Seeds with Improved Nutritional Value. It will use seeds from our old friend Arabidopsis thaliana to investigate how the deep space environment affects amino acids, the building blocks of proteins. The sample materials have high levels of branched-chain amino acids that are essential to plants and humans and can only be obtained from plants. Because spaceflight conditions can degrade the nutrient reserves in seeds, the research team hopes these enhanced seeds will be better able to endure the trip than their normal counterparts. This could help us to grow healthier seedlings in space and provide more nutritional value for astronauts. So those are the exciting experiments flying to the moon in the Orion capsule, but there will also be other seeds on board. As is standard for a spaceflight, Orion will be carrying trinkets and souvenirs into space. That includes some items to commemorate the Apollo missions, including a tiny moon rock from Apollo 11 that also flew on the final space shuttle flight. Issa is flying a Sean the Sheep figurine, and you can read about Sean's astronaut training adventures on the Issa Orion blog. There are the usual pins, patches and flags of course, but four different organisations are sending seeds on this flight. There aren't many details on offer. The Jet Propulsion Laboratory is sending various tree and plant seeds. The NASA Office of STEM Engagement has packed sycamore tree seeds in the capsule. Boeing is also sending various tree seeds, and so is the Israel Space Agency. I imagine the idea behind all of those is to create a new generation of moon trees grown from seeds that have been to the moon and back. We'll have to wait and see. And if you want to know more about the moon trees, there's a special bonus episode of the show devoted to them. It's available exclusively to patrons and you can sign up to support the show for as little as £1 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash gardeners of the galaxy to find out more. So how does Orion get back to Earth? 
The final test for Orion is whether it can return astronauts safely to Earth. When it re-enters Earth's atmosphere, the capsule will be travelling at around 40,000 kilometres per hour. That's 25,000 miles per hour. The braking effect of the atmosphere will slow it down to a mere 480 kph, 300 miles per hour. However, the cost of doing that is a temperature of about 2,800 degrees Celsius, so the capsule is fitted with a heat shield. The final stages of the flight are very similar to what we see with the SpaceX Dragon spacecraft. Two sets of parachutes will slow the capsule to less than 32 kph and it will splash down within sight of the recovery vessel off the coast of San Diego. Assuming everything goes well for Artemis 1, what's next for the Artemis programme? Artemis 2 will take four astronauts 4,600 miles beyond the far side of the Moon. That's further out into the solar system than anyone has ever been. That mission, expected to launch in 2024, will last approximately 10 days. And in 2025, we may see the Artemis 3 crew land on the Moon. Then Artemis will focus on establishing facilities on the surface and building the Gateway space station in lunar orbit. I'm really hoping that Gardeners of the Galaxy is still around to see those missions, but that depends on your support. As I've already mentioned, you can sign up to become a patron of the show, and that's via patreon.com forward slash Gardeners of the Galaxy. Or you can make a one-off donation via Ko-fi, or buy me a book from my Amazon wishlist to build up my space library. I'll put all those links in the show notes for you, which you'll find on my website, theunconventionalgardener.com. There are non-financial methods of supporting the show that are just as important, so please help out by following me on social media, liking and sharing my posts, or leaving reviews in your podcast app. That's it for this episode. There's just time for a big thank you to my patrons and everyone who supports the show, and to tell you that you will be able to watch the Artemis One launch live via the NASA website, NASA TV and the NASA app, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. Confirming termination of your signal. The technicians have a query about your latest experiment. They have asked, if a plant is sad, do the others photosympathise with it?